And then I was like, Mum, you know I'm gay, right? <laughs> and then she's like, yeah, I know. I've always known. And then she's like, I, you know, I've always, I loved you for who you are as a person. So that was just everything from that moment on. I felt the energy, the pressure and everything that was weighing me down just released to hear that from my mother. That's Marcellus Enalanga. He's a gay Aboriginal man who's faced prejudice on all sides. It's just not feeling welcome. And you know when you're not welcome in an environment or an establishment because you just get that look, you get that that natural instinct that you don't belong in that in that area. Marcellus had a lot to grapple with growing up in Port Pirie. Figuring out who he was and how to be himself was no easy task. As an Aboriginal person, you know, identity means a lot to us. If we don't know where we come from, then we're lost in this world. He had some very dark days that culminated in attempting suicide. There were times where I'm like, you know, this is it. This is, you know, I'm done with everyone, with, with everyone around me because it's, you know, I'm, I'm not needed here. That's what I thought back then. But thankfully, Marcellus's story was only beginning. Since then, he's gone on to help make significant improvements to Aboriginal youth services and education, and most importantly, become proud of everything he is. I want to show that kids of disadvantaged backgrounds, especially First Nations kids, that they can do it. Welcome to Young Blood, an award-winning podcast on a mission to make the mental health of young men a top priority. My name's Callum McPherson, I'm a journalist, and this is our platform to open up and share stories of what we've been through because we're not alone. Let's do it. Before we kick this off, I just want to say thanks so much to everyone who's taken 15 to 90 seconds out of their day to rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts. It boosts us up the ranks massively and makes a huge difference to how many people we can reach with these potentially life-saving stories. So thank you. And for those who haven't got around to it, please, if Youngblood has delivered you some value, let us know on there. Cheers, legends. Trigger warning, if you find anything spoken about in today's episode distressing, please contact Lifeline on 13 11 14. Marcellus, take us back to your childhood. Where did you grow up? Yeah, so I'm from Central Australia. was born in Alice Springs in Brandoa, um, which is the, the local name for it in, in my language, Aranda. I grew up with my grandmother because my mum was very young. She had me when she was 16. I lived around in Alice Springs um, and in the community, Ali Kurung, just south of Tennant Creek. Yeah, I was lucky enough to move back with my mum at the age of five and then move down to South Australia where I basically uh, grew up. Yeah, so that's... And that was in Port Pirie the whole time? Yeah, Port Pirie, a uh, couple of years here in Adelaide, but majority of my childhood was spent in Port Pirie. And what sticks out in your memory from your childhood? Um, just the freedom. I, I, I think back now, as a, as a child, riding bike around the paddocks on the outskirts of Port Pirie, the opportunity to just live a life as a child. I'm grateful and privileged to have that upbringing in, in Port Pirie and you know, thankful for my, for my mum and my aunties that made them move down. Were there many other Aboriginal people in Port Pirie when you yeah, were Yeah, there, there was a strong um, community of Aboriginal people there. We had the, uh, the Aboriginal Community Centre, which we had gatherings and events happening for the local you know, Aboriginal community. So that being the case, did you always feel quite welcome in Port Pirie? Yeah, I've always felt comfortable and welcome because we were involved with a uh, sporting community. So played football, basketball, soccer, and everyone just, you know, just around the town were just so friendly, welcoming and warm to us. 
So how did you view yourself as a kid growing up? Was skin colour even something that really came into your mind much or given the fact that you had a fairly good experience of how you were you were treated, that was something that you didn't really think about too yeah, much? Yeah, well, there were racism, but very quiet, subtle racism, not straight-to-your-face racism, especially in the sporting fields because, you know, oh, the black child is better than the rest. Right. You know, I um. I was lucky enough to play men's softball for South Australia and also got into the under-16s Australian team. Um, since coming, you know, when I went back to, to Port Pirie after travelling around the country for nationals, I've always felt excluded and not included in, you know, in, in team gatherings and, yeah, just felt pushed aside because, you know, I was that talented black kid. Yeah, but there were racism, not only on, on the field, but our field as well, just in community in general. So what made you feel like you were being excluded? Obviously, it's the colour of my skin. It's just not feeling welcome, and you know when you're not welcome in an environment or an establishment because you just get that look. You get that that natural instinct that you don't belong in that, in that area. So like the gut feeling. Gut feeling, yeah. Mm. But that generally that wasn't your experience most of the time. No, um, the community there, you know, we were just, they were just welcoming and everyone was so friendly. Um, and I still call Piri home, so, you know, there's no other place I'd rather be than back home in Port Piri. No, <laughs> but, yeah, you know, that's, that was my childhood growing up in that town, so. So how do you remember feeling in your skin growing up? In the sporting teams, in classrooms, youth programs, I was most of the time the only black person. But I, um, I got along with everyone. Um, I didn't feel like I was just a tokenistic black kid. I got used to it. So, you know, I'm used to being the only black person anywhere. Who did you look up to? Well, as a child, I used to watch TV a lot. Um, Ernie Dingo was, you know, the first black person I seen on TV, you know, um, Great Outdoors, because he travelled. And I loved travelling and being on my feet all the time. And looking at him you know on tv he's like wow i want to go to those places and you know i want to be like him and he's you know i still look up to him to this day which is why i got into to media is because of annie dingo and that's the first person you know i looked you know seen as a as a child and seeing him in that sort of a role what kind of an impact did that have on you obviously he's a black man as well but what did that make you think about I suppose what you could go on to do? Uh, just a black man being on mainstream TV you know and all the the reviews and you know the respect that I've heard from you know non-aboriginal people say oh Ernie Dingo is amazing to see him on mainstream TV it was a representation for me to, to look at you know you know that's me you know I was this kid growing up in Piri or growing up in Alice Springs to see this black man on on, on mainstream TV. So you wanted to be a performer and be up in lights and sort of have an exciting life? I'm a bit of an all-rounder. Um, I used to do, I used to learn classical music, had played pianos, had a piano at home in the lounge and then a keyboard in my room. So during the night, I put the headphones on and just play okay. um, and did some singing. So, you know, Performing is my life, and it's passed down generational, intergenerational, because of, you know, I come from a line of singers and storytellers, and going into media now that I want to, you know, tell stories and share life experiences. So that's in your blood? Yeah, it is. 
Who were your role models growing up? Um, I would say my mothers. When I say mothers, it's my mum and her sisters. Um, and that includes my grandmother. Um, I was, you know, raised by strong black independent women. Um, I didn't have a father figure um, growing up. Um, there were, you know, uncles and, um, um, and cousins around. But, you know, I looked at these amazing women. I wouldn't be the person I am today if it wasn't for these strong black independent women. The lack of a father figure, was that something that hung on your mind when you were growing up or something that you noticed with other kids had dads and you didn't have one around? Is that something that weighed on you? Yeah, it has because um, not having a father figure at home made it different because, you know, I wanted to go out and do, especially the manly stuff, you know, go out fishing, driving cars. That rite of passage type stuff Yeah, well. yeah. So I, um, you know, I was in a way jealous, but I wasn't jealous because I had my mother's, you know, because there were, we got to do that stuff. We went fishing, we went hiking, we did... You know, played sports. My mothers did that. You know, they played those both roles as a mother and a father. And did you know why your dad wasn't in the picture? As a child, obviously, you know, we're innocent children. So my mum didn't include me in that process. You never told me the stories until now as, a, as an adult. My mum and I are closer in a way that we, you know, we tell nearly everything, tell each other stories. Mm. And yeah, you know, I think back now, and, you know, would love to have my father part of my upbringing, but unfortunately he passed when I was 10. So, you know, that's, that's an opportunity missed, unfortunately, but can't do anything about it. That's life. And what did you learn from the women in your life? Resilience. The women were strong. There's nothing like a black woman because if you weren't raised by a black woman, then, you know, you weren't raised tough. Discipline, you know, we grew up with discipline. Um, and protection because they, they cared and, you know, they were the only ones that were there for us. You know, I'm the eldest out of five, so, you know, my mum did everything that she could to protect us. What did you feel in terms of how much you were loved and cared for and what, your, what those women in your life wanted for you to get from your life? Well, that, when they made the move down to South Australia, they you know, want to give their children the opportunities to, to succeed in life, to have, um, you know, opportunities, you know, sports, school. Because if I was brought up in Central Australia by these women, it would be different. Um, you know, and I'm so grateful because if, if I wasn't raised down south, I would be either an alcoholic and drug addict incarcerated or a statistic because as a you know as a black man I'm more likely to go to jail than to university so grateful that my mom my mother's made that you know move down south because you know I wouldn't have become South Australian Young Achiever of the Year I wouldn't have played you know men's softball for Australia um, in the under 16 squad you know, I wouldn't have had, had these opportunities if it wasn't from my mother's moving down. Yeah. Did you get the feeling that they were conscious of the fact that you were at somewhat of a disadvantage just statistically and really wanting to instill within you self-belief and also knowing that you needed to like really work hard and, and perhaps work harder than 
other white people. Of course, you know, and that, and they 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 knew that we had barriers to you know to overcome as you know as dis being disadvantaged, um, being black. They knew that we would struggle wherever we went, being in school, being bullied at school, at sports. They knew and they were prepared. You know, they you know when I got bullied in in school, both my mum and my her sisters and so my mothers, they went to school and told the teacher off because they knew they were prepared for anything just like that. Being Do you think that's school. partly why they were really tough on you? Yeah, they were. They, they were knew the world tough, was going to be tough, tough on yeah. you? Yeah, they knew. Yeah, so, you know, they were prepared every day and every second. What was your first experience of racism that you remember? <sighs> when I was a child, there were racism especially walking around with my grandmother in Alice Springs and then there were tourists coming and you know just receiving that that gesture like Ugh, you know like black fellas but you know it wasn't obvious but we knew that there were racism and you know I would be walking down down the mall with my with my grandmother getting that look you know of disgust you know like oh what are you guys doing I think that was my first experience as a, as a four or five-year-old in Alice Springs experiencing racism. Did you have others later in life, like in your teenage years? Yeah, during high school. There was one year when I was a school captain of my high school. I was at the library and I could hear some, some, some of the students were behind me because I, I think I was returning a book or borrowing a book. And then I could hear them talking in the background. Oh, there's myself, you know, there's a school captain. Go and ask him. Why is he black? And I knew what he said. Well, I heard him and I was just, okay, calm down, take it in. They laughed, you know, there were all white kids behind me. And there was me standing there trying to get this book or, you know, um, return this book. As a school captain of the school, I thought I was being, you know, I was respected in this school, but clearly I wasn't because there was some you know, some jealous little kid back there peer pressuring his friends to come and ask me why am I black. Um, as an adult, well, I do experience racism a lot, especially going out, you know, on a night out. Um, most of the time I'm always presentable and dressed. You mean and in I, terms of comments that people make or is it like you said, that, that feeling in the way that you get looked at sometimes, you feel? Yeah, and rejections, you know, going being rejected to go in a club because I'm black and then, you know, they make excuses with my cousins if we're going out with them. Oh, you're too drunk. Go and get some water and have some food before we let you in. Not much in the workplace. I haven't received um, racism because I've worked with a lot of Aboriginal people. So, you know, I did not... Well, it wasn't probably obvious racism, but, you know, just going out on a night out and being, you know, refused to, to an establishment because of the colour of my skin. Mm. And what's it like to live with that in the background? You know, it's not like glaringly obvious or something that's in your face all the time, but like you said, you go out and you, in the back of your mind, you think, you know, that might be a factor and you have to live your life having to think about that. Mm. Well, you know, most People of colour are, are used to it now, you know, we're, we're, we expect it to happen wherever we go, unfortunately, you know, and that's the society that we, you know, we live in, you know, we just, we'll, we're always prepared. Oh, you know, they're not, what if they don't, ref, you know, what if they don't allow us to go in, you know, they'll refuse us. It's, it's normal to us, unfortunately, and we're always prepared for that racism or any other comments.
How are you treated by most people though, do you feel? Well, most people, you know, when I'm out, they always compliment the way I dress and how I look, you know, sophisticated, a black man with the glasses, you know, and my hair done. Um, that's the all, that's all the comments that I get all the time and just, you know, compliments about my appearance um, mm. and how I dress. I guess the know. fact that you're sophisticated and have glasses should have nothing to do with the fact that you're a black man and therefore that's surprising. You're yeah, a sophisticated yeah. man with glasses, you're not like a sophisticated black man with glasses. Like, it's, you know? it's putting that black man Yeah, in it's front. like, why do you need yeah. to put that in there at all? And know? most of the time it's the drunks anyway, so, mm. you know, alcohol doesn't, you know, doesn't give you, you know, the excuse to say that. Well, that's coming from a place of like trying to say something nice when people are inebriated, but it just sort of goes to show that subtle racism, doesn't it? Because why do you even have to note the colour of someone's skin? Yeah. But I find that's even done in TV and in the news and and the way that we describe people of colour where their race will be put in there or their appearance will be put Mm. into the story and it's not really relevant. Like the you're just a person, so it doesn't really matter, but the background ethnicity is mm. included in the title and it's like, well, if it was a white man, he wouldn't do it. No. It just, you know, so. That's it. So why do we still live in a time where we even have to mention that? That's it. Yeah. Um, and there are pros and cons to that, you know, to be recognised as, oh, you know, there's an Aboriginal person mm. on TV instead of just saying, oh, you know, there's a person on TV. Um, you know, that's, you know, to be described in, in that in that sense as a you know a positive you know like outlook or you know for sometimes in news reporting you know they're uh you know they're described as you know an aboriginal appearance that's the bad look as well that we get you have to be proud of your heritage Mm. and and your identity because um as an aboriginal person you know identity means a lot to us if we don't know where we come from then we're lost in this world you know you look back into the stolen generations you know they were they're lost you know you know this is this happened two gen three generations ago and now you know it's happening now you know these these young people are living their life without their identity they don't know where they come from but identity means a lot to us as aboriginal people because we know if we don't know where we come from we're lost we're lost in the city or you know the world because we don't know where we come from so being proud you know of your culture your language means a lot to us Mm, well said how do you feel about your connection to land and country yeah you know i um i go back once a year go back to, to country to to Brandoa, Isle Springs, because I, I feel connected. You know, I want to go back to take my shoes off and feel the red dirt and walk amongst the spirit. And you know when you go out to community or, you know, back to country, um, you just feel that welcoming, the spirits fill you, and it's, it's so powerful. What does that do for your soul going back there? Yeah, it just recharges me, you know, um, rejuvenates me by going back to country makes me stronger my spirit energy because we we live both worlds um you know we live the western culture and we live our culture you know and we always try to maintain um a good balance and by going back to to country you know and speaking language i've been speaking language a lot lately been speaking three even more languages because i just want to feel connected um because i grew up speaking english predominantly what power is there in that 
for you speaking those traditional languages? It gives me respect within my own community, Aboriginal community, because, you know, I communicate, for example, if I sit, you know, with a group of four, you know, each person might speak a different language. You know, it gives me that power to communicate to each one in each different language, which makes me feel good about myself because as a teenager I struggled to to even pronounce names and um, and to communicate and I felt lost and distant from that. How does that communication factor into your desire to want to be a TV presenter and, and communicate on those larger scales and involve that tradition within that? Mm, well, representation matters, you know, for, for a young kid um, like myself growing up in remote community and outskirts of Alice Springs, seeing a, a black person, you know, and for now, if they see me on TV, they'll be like, oh, look, you know, that's family. For them to know that I do speak in language and, you know, I come from their community, you know, and representation matters. I also want to start podcasts, media content for community members in language so, so that I can engage with them and share stories, share their stories to them in language as well. What do you think people from your community might be able to take out of seeing you on a stage like being on TV or being in the public eye? How might that positively impact people from your community? It gives them the hope that they can do, you know, they can do it. They can be whoever they want to. You know, I'm lucky to have the opportunities that I've been given. I always think about kids in remote communities because, you know, they don't have the resources at home. And they don't have the examples. That's it. To be on TV to show them that that they can do it, the world's their oyster, so anything's possible. Hmm. When did you realise you were gay? I think at the age of four or five. The first instance was uh, there was I think there was a magazine like a like the teenage or some sort of teenage magazine, and there was a photo of Orlando Bloom. <laughs> um, so I was like, whoa! He was like shirtless. I'm like, whoa, wow! You know, and I was attracted to that. Not only that, I grew up with with women and, you know, there were girls around. So I would play with the girls, play with the dolls, dress up, wear heels and put the shirts in like I'm wearing a bikini, mm. like a crop top. Um, yeah, at a very young age, so four or five, that's when I, when I knew that I was, you know, attracted to, to men. So what was the process of coming out like for you? Did people sort of assume it or was it still difficult for you to come yeah, out? Yeah, well... It? Later in my adult life, they <laughs> say to me, oh, we've always known. But, you know, I, you know, I, I struggled as a teenager um, during high school. I did have a girlfriend, but, you know, I think it was more of a, a comfort thing for me. Um, I was always attracted to the guys that were in, you know, in my sporting teams, in class. Were you afraid? Um, I was afraid because I grew up in a very Christian conservative background as well. So, you know, we were forced to read the Bible every night, you know, read a verse and then pray every night. So growing up in that environment as well was difficult for me. I think it was in my third year of high school. I went downhill because I, I struggled a lot. Um, I, cause I, you know, I found it hard to express myself, um, um, because I didn't have those people around me to encourage me to to um, to for support because I was always told that I was wrong, that I was you know um, 
I was bad and you know I was I wasn't supported not even from my mothers my my family was this once they knew you were gay um not only because I was gay it's because I was um as a teenager I was I wasn't cooperating I was you know um, not going to school, I was um, sleeping in, I was really depressed, mm. you know, and they were saying, oh, you're okay, you know, why are you doing this? You know, I didn't want to listen. I, you know, turned into a little bit of a rebel because, you know, because of that struggle of trying to not only find myself, but to um, express myself, you know, and I didn't have that um, environment to, to do so. So, um yeah, so it was really difficult during my teenage years. Um, what was the hardest thing about being you at that time? Because teenage years are critical for who we are as a person because that, you know, teenage years makes who we are as a person. But I did go through it. Um, once I left high school, I moved into the city, um, hung out with other queer, gay, black men and women, um, brother, boys and sister girls, and they... They just made me feel like home. They were, you know, family to me and just made me, you know, made me realise and made me more... They empowered me, you know. They made me come out and, you know, it was one night because I... My mum was visiting with my little sister, visiting me here in Adelaide and went back home and I was... had a bit of... bit to drink and I was talking to mum, oh, we just went out to a gay club. And then I was like, Mom, you know I'm gay, right? <laughs> and then she's like, yeah, I know. I've always known. And then she's like, I, you know, I've always, I loved you for who you are as a person. So that was just everything from that moment on. I felt the energy, the pressure and everything that was weighing me down just released to hear that from my mother. I went into my room and I had a little cry because I was like, wow, to hear that from my mother was just, this, you know, that that relief because to say that she loves and accepts me um because you had this terrible fear that you'd be rejected from yeah it. given that she said she's always known it would have been good of her to bring it up earlier and say she loves you anyway yeah <laughs> that would have helped <laughs> a lot especially you know as a teenager would have helped a lot but mm. um you know obviously we did have that conversation and you know we moved forward and yeah. so a lot of that angst and those fears was based off what you thought the reaction would be more mm. so than the actual reality. Yeah, it was, yeah, the fear of their reactions because I didn't know what they would react. You know, they would probably tell me, oh, get out, you know, move out when I want you here. Because mm. I know um, the men in my family, are, you know, majority of them are homophobic because, you know, they were brought up to be men. You know, that's not what men do. In so that's Christian what made culture. you feel like you were wrong? Yeah, yeah, it, it did. I struggled and that's why it made me, um, yeah, depressed as a t teenager. How dark did that get when you were in that really tough period of your life? It was really dark for me. I was always in my room. I didn't leave the room. It was always dark. I just didn't want to talk to anyone because I just, yeah, I, I was hopeless. You know, I didn't know what to do um yeah i was in that in a very deep place a deep and dark place yeah. what was in your mind at that time like why did you feel so hopeless and why didn't you want to leave that room it was all numb to me because 
the, I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what the next steps that I would take. I was just just sitting in there, lying in there in my bed, you know, not, you know, I was out on my phone, on my laptop watching movies and that's all mm. I could do. Like checking out. Yeah. Is that because you didn't, you felt like you didn't know how to be you? Like you were realising parts of who you were and that you didn't want to mm. or you didn't know how to do that and you didn't have guidance on that? No, I didn't have guidance whatsoever. That's why I was just like a little ornament sitting in my room, just doing nothing, um, no plans. Because you didn't want to face being you. Yeah, I didn't know what to do. Yeah. And did that get to the point where you didn't actually want to be here at all? Yeah, there were times where um, I actually just wanted to hitchhike. And I was thinking, well, I'm going to walk and I don't care if I get hit by a truck or anything, you know, because no one cares about me anyway. Um, there were times where um, in Port Pirie there's an overpass past the railway tracks. There were times where I would have an argument with my mum or whoever, you know, siblings, and I would walk off crying. And then I would just go to the overpass and just stand there and, you know, holding the, the light pole. I'd be like, you know, should I do it? Should I do it? Should I jump? You know, this is it. No one loves me. No one cares about me. You know, it was really difficult to in that time going through that but I've always known that there was something great was going to happen you know there were light at the, you know at the end, end of the tunnel um but there were times where I'm like you know this is it this is you know I'm done with everyone with, with everyone around me because it's you know I'm I'm not needed here that's what I thought back then you didn't love yourself and I didn't love myself because I didn't know who I was yeah, I was lost, but I've always known that there were that voice inside me saying, you know, you're, you're amazing. You're going to be, you know, you're a bright star. There's that light there and you're going to, you're going to get through it. And which I did. And I, you know, and I've listened to that voice that was in my head. That voice knew my future. So how have you been able to love yourself and quieten the other voice that said that you were worthless or you were wrong? Mm. Uh, those things that were sort of ingrained in you due to your upbringing? How have you been able to silence that and fully accept and love who mm. you are? I'm able to express myself more um, with my look, fashion, um, how I communicate and talk with people, with my friends openly, you know, talk about, you know, sexuality and talk about relationships. I'm open to, you know, and free to... To, to do that now. And part of it's like you found people who love you for you and yeah. then even people that you thought wouldn't really love the real you and you're so terrified that mm. they wouldn't. Turns out that, well, at least your mother does. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah, of course. You know, those people went through the same thing that I've gone through. So, you know, to be around amongst these people um, gave me that hope to, you know, to be the person I am today, you know, they empowered me, which is, you know, amazing. Um, if it wasn't for these people, I wouldn't, you know, be here and I would never had the opportunity to have the conversation to my, to my mum that night. To give me that bit of strength and courage um, to say that, um, you know, if it wasn't for these people, yeah, I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it, yeah. Mm. Being black and gay, do you feel like there's even more prejudice there or there's even more to overcome a lot more to overcome especially being a minority within the minority so being black in the gay community 
there's always racism and, you know, types, you know, not into black guys and going out to, you know, gay clubs or dating sites, you know, we're not their first preference because we're black. I struggle, you know, being a minority within that minority. So there's been some hurt there and being sort of ostracised in within that community based off the colour of your... Yeah, it, there have been hurt, especially, you know, trying to find that significant other. It's difficult, especially when I try to make the move. First message, oh, hey, how are you? You know, just trying to get to know the person and you just get shut off and, you know, blocked because, you know, they're not into to black men, yeah. Would they state that? No, they just, you know, right. they just block it, you know, that mm. quick. So, yeah, you know, that's that's what we have to put up with. There's a, you know, gay black man in this, in that community, yeah. And you've been super passionate about Indigenous youth services and education and making some really significant changes with all that. Why have mm. you been so passionate about that sort of work in the last six or seven years? Yeah, because, you know, I want to provide opportunities for disadvantaged First Nations young people. I know there are a lot of programs and opportunities around, but I think, you know, just a little bit of push, more black faces, more black people as doctors, as TV presenters, as police officers, you know, I think we need to push them a little bit more to succeed and, you know, to provide those opportunities. What needs to change in this country or what have you been a part of? trying to change? Well, I think, you know, I look back to it now, I think the education system, um, when I was in high school, they were just saying, oh, you know, you guys, you need to go uni, do this, do that. I haven't been to uni yet because I don't know what I want to do yet. You know, and that's, why would I want to go to uni when I don't know what I want to study? Um, and I think, you know, that goes back to the education system where they need to encourage young people to find they love, you know, of, you know, whatever their passion, what they want to do in life, you know, whether if it's, you know, being a mechanic, you know, or um, just a cook, you know, they need to encourage more of that, which they have been, you know, there are vet courses, but I think they need to encourage that more instead of just uni, 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 you know, mm. and that's not going to help. More life experience would help more than just being, you know, um, receiving that degree. So especially with black kids because they get really um, put off by it because, you know, that's, they don't think that they're good enough to go to uni because none of their family have gone to uni. What example do you want to set? I've been doing it as a black person already, um, you know, setting an example of being out there, going out and doing things. You know, when I'm walking in the city, I see, you know, these young, you know, black kids, you know, they look at me, they, if I'm dressed up in a suit or, you know, just, you know, Walking with confidence, you know, I want to I wanna show that kids of disadvantaged backgrounds, especially, you know, First Nations kids, that they can do it. Getting the word out to them and just showing who I am. There might be a, a child or, you know, a young teenager in bed right now because they're depressed and they're going through that, you know, dark and deep place, you know, who might watch this or one of my, you know, talk shows that would be like, hey, you know, I can do it, you know, he's a... He's, he's been through that. I can be like him. Who are you now? I am, well, I have an alias, so my name's Milan. So um, what, if you know the Sasha Fierce of Beyonce, you know, that's what she, when she performs, she, um, she's Sasha Fierce. Um, my name is Milan, so I feel, you know, I'm feel, I feel different being a, 
being my, you know my my new name is Milan I I'm I'm different to that young teenage Marcellus growing up in Port Pirie. What do you feel you've emerged as through all your youth and the struggles you've been through and what you've learned? I'm more confident now um, and I'm more free and open to, to be whoever I want to be. And, you know, and a lot of people you know, come up to me and say, oh, wow, we love what you're doing. You know, I love what you see, you know, what we're seeing on, on social media. You know, that's amazing. Keep it up. You know, and you know, I'm more open and free compared to the teenager that I was stuck in that vulnerable state and, you know, lost and lonely. So, yeah. Why are you grateful to be here? Because of my family and for my people, I, you know, I'm really grateful because I can share my stories to, to them and to the future generations, you know, for young people that are going or will go through what I've been through. So, yeah, you know, I'm grateful to share my story with someone like yourself who, you know, has gone through, you know, and achieved amazing things. So, yeah, I'm really grateful to be here. Beautiful, man. As a, as a person, yeah. Yeah, well, thanks so much for sharing that story and can see the light in your eyes. Very glad you did listen to that, that yeah. voice uh, in your younger days and I have no doubt that it was right and you are destined for great things and you are setting a great example. So you should be very proud of yourself. Of course. It's, uh, yeah. Yeah. Thank great you. to hear your Thank story. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode. If you're getting some value out of the show, please help us out with a quick rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Everything we do is recorded in video, so follow Youngblood Men's Mental Health on Instagram and Facebook and Youngblood Mental Health on TikTok. Subscribe to our YouTube channel and please leave us a comment or send us a message if these stories resonate. We'd love to hear from you. You can sign up to our e-news through our website, youngbloodmedia.com.au. And most importantly, please share the podcast with anyone in your life who might need it. We're all about reaching as many people as we can. This is Youngblood. Thanks for being part of the mission. Catch you next time.